Loving God, as we gather around your word, we thank you for uh, words of life that would um, shape us and mould us, help us to become the people that you've called us to be. Help us to be those who reflect um, the very life of God to the world in which we live. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, bringing uh, our our series on the book of Galatians to uh, a close. And we've looked at so far in in, uh, Galatians chapter 1 through to Galatians chapter 5, Paul, uh, the writer of this uh, letter, uh, deals with some really big, meaty kind of theological issues, um, law and grace, uh, faith and works, uh, living by the Spirit as opposed to uh, living by uh, our sinful nature. But as he um, concludes um, this letter, as he um, often does, um, Paul's focus um, turns to some very practical um, issues. Um, And in this final uh, chapter of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6 verses 9 and 10, which we're going to be looking at this morning, we just read some very, uh, it's kind of he's been flying way high up in the sky and then all of a sudden he drops down and, and it's kind of all very earthy. And here he writes, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Great uh, few verses. So the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1 with what is called the the creation story. And there is a little phrase there in in Genesis chapter 1 which is repeated five times. That little phrase is this, And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. Then in Genesis um, chapter 1 verse 31, is, is, um, the writer of, of uh, the book of beginnings is, is bringing that, that introduction to the creation story to an end. Um, there is this climactic statement that is made and it's this. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And that's in reference to God's creation of humankind. And God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was very good. And so from the, from the beginning, um, the Bible establishes for us a reference point. And that reference point is this, is that God and good go together. God and good go together. I'm going to say that again, and you can repeat after me. God and good go together. So God is good, um, the world that God made is good, and we as human beings are very good. That's good news, isn't it? That's good. And it stands to reason that if, who here is into God? Like, like kind of loves God. Who's into God? Okay? Well, it stands to reason that if, if you, you are into God, then you will be into doing good. If, you're, if God is good, and what God does is good, and we are into God, it stands to reason 
that we will be also into doing good. Now, there are opportunities all around us. Opportunities abound for us um, to do good. Now, when we look at the world and we kind of uh, engage with humanity when we turn on our TVs, um, what do we see? Some Christians um, just see the problems, and there are lots of them. There is, there is sin, there is brokenness, there is hatred, there is suffering, there is injustice, there is poverty, there is despair, and there is pain. pain. And um, there's no great skill in, in seeing problems. You will not get a medal for just being able to identify and point out where all the problems are in the world. What we need to do is to cultivate the ability to see that accompanying every problem is an opportunity for us to inject good. So when we see sin... Um, Sin is actually an opportunity for us as the people of God to offer forgiveness to those who are sinners, to share with them the good news. That God took the initiative and died in our place. And that where sin abounds, the more the messier person's life is, the more that sin abounds, what is God's response to that? Grace. So every time we meet a sinner, we don't get turned off by the messiness of their lives. We just see this as a great opportunity to present to them the good news. When we meet someone whose life is characterized by brokenness, brokenness is just an opportunity through the eyes of a Christian for God to do his restorative work. Whenever we're the recipient of somebody's hatred, when we're Christians, we reframe that action that's been against us and we see that as an opportunity to show love, don't we? (laughs) When we see suffering, that suffering is an opportunity for us to bring relief and demonstrate compassion. Or when we see injustice, that is an opportunity for us as Christians to right the wrong. When there is, uh, we, we encounter poverty, poverty is an opportunity for us as Christians to be generous and to alleviate that poverty. When we encounter somebody who is experiencing despair, That's an opportunity for us to speak words of life and of hope into their circumstances or into their their lives. And when we meet somebody whose life is is, uh, uh, characterized by pain and grief, that's an opportunity for us to embrace that person and bring them comfort. You get my drift? Get what I'm trying to say? That whatever the problem is, The problem is simply an opportunity for us to inject something good. This is how how kids see the world. They always see the opportunity. So they're walking down the country lane and they see a stick on the ground. Now for us adults, that stick is something to kind of... It's an obstacle that we have to walk around, but not for a child. What does that child do? Child will pick up that stick. And what does that stick become? It becomes, it's a sword. 
or it becomes the horse. <laughs> or it becomes, is it the limbo where they kind of, is that right? They, I can't go any lower than that. It's something that we would see as an obstacle, a barrier to walk around for a child, it becomes something exciting. So next time you see a stick, pick it up. That can be your pole for your pole dancing or whatever, whatever it is. I don't know. So you're going to learn. Sorry about that one. Just giving you suggestions. The big question is, what do we see? Do we see obstacles or do we see opportunities? And the question that we need to be asking is, where is the opportunity in this situation to do good? Because God is into good, and if we are into God, we're into doing good too. Uh, when we were uh, based in Newcastle and pastoring a church up there, Life Church, um, we had a, a lady by the name of Mary who literally um, slept on the church doorstep. And um, literally it was, she was a, a, an obstacle to get around or actually to get over so we could get through the doors of our church. And we could have looked at Mary as an obstacle, somebody that we had to maneuver our way around or somehow get, our, get ourselves over her. But we decided to see Mary as an opportunity rather than as an obstacle. And we started providing meals for the likes of people like Mary. We launched a registered charity called Life Shapers. And we just decided... Our job as a church was to serve the Marys of our community. We put up our hands and we said, we will take responsibility for caring for all of the poor in Newcastle. That's our job. That's our call. We will do whatever we can do to serve and do good for these people. But it was Mary sitting on our door, lying on our doorstep who we could have seen as an obstacle, but we framed her as an opportunity to do good. See, being a follower of Jesus means learning to see the world differently. We're called to reframe things. And Christians, are, we're, we're unique. We're strange, aren't we? Just look at the person next to you and you'll get an idea. We're, we... We have been called to develop a unique perspective of the negative. A unique perspective of the negative. We're to take a, a redemptive view of obstacles. So I'll give you an example in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Uh, uh, James writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity to complain. No? Consider it an opportunity to winch. No? Consider it an opportunity. Trouble? An opportunity? He says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
talking about kind of reframing things. And he goes on to say, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, how good does that sound? To be the kind of person who's perfect and complete and needing nothing. Wouldn't it be nice just to have one person in our church who we could look at and say, there she is. She's complete and um, needing nothing. You see, we all want to be perfect, don't we? Well, I'd like to be perfect. I'd love to be, I'd love to, I would love to be complete. I think there's something within all of us because we're, we're wired this way. We long for that day when everything will be as it was supposed to be. And the trouble is, we can only get to that place of edging closer to perfection and completeness or maturity or wholeness through trouble. The problem is we see trouble as an obstacle, not as an opportunity. Who would have guessed that trouble is the gift that actually comes to deliver wholeness to our lives? Just think about that for a moment. For, for quite a long period of time now, Christianity has become dominated by an emphasis on, on right belief. You know, is our, is our doctrine right? Are we adhering accurately to the truth? Um, recently, somebody um, spoke to me, and um, they were talking about the need for us to make sure that we had a, a good handle on the 1,000-year reign of Christ. And I looked at them, I thought this must be a joke, but it was actually quite serious. They were really believed that I and other uh, church ministers within the Church of Christ needed to make sure that they had a good grasp of the doctrine of the thousand-year reign of Christ. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, my goodness me, I'm just struggling to get through today and through the week, never mind um, thinking about the 1,000-year reign of Christ. I don't have the time, I don't have the interest, I don't have the inclination to try and make sure that I am doctrinally sound on the 1,000-year reign. Some of you are looking at me really quizzical and thinking, what on earth is the 1,000-year reign? Don't worry about it. So you put all of this emphasis on believing the right things. And we have assumed in the church, we've assumed that if we are just believing the right things, then that's all that's required of us. Now, right belief is important. It's really important. But what we believe needs to be earthed into Action, And this is what Paul is writing of. It's how we behave. He gives this wonderful theological um, um, expose, expose in 
Galatians 1 through to 5 on law and grace and faith and works and uh, living by the Spirit, not living by our sinful nature. But then he earths it right at the end by saying, now, the way that this looks in day-to-day life is, do you do good or not? You might have all your theology about law and grace and faith and works, but ultimately the way that that's expressed is in the way that we do life. (coughs) And Paul doesn't say we're just to sit around and contemplate doing good, that we're not just to... Uh, talk about doing good, theorize or, <coughs> excuse me, spiritualize what it would look like if we did good. He says that when the opportunity comes along, we just take action. We just take action. You've got to do something about what you see. Now, that doesn't mean we have to do everything, but it does mean we have to do something. It doesn't mean we have to do everything. We, we're not, we can't possibly meet every need, but we have to do something good. Because good is what good does. For that saying, love is what love does. Well, good is what good does. And goodness is not a religious truth we assent to, but something that we do. And our responsibility is to translate all of the things that we believe into behavior because that is what the Christian life is like. Now, you need to put on your safety helmets now because we're going to go back into the book of James. Whenever we go to James... You have to wear protective clothing because he just kind of shoots straight from the hip and he tells it like it is. So this is what James says in chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. He says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, you say you have faith, but don't show it or don't demonstrate it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no uh, food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. What you believe is not enough. What you um, theologize about and theorize about is good, but it is not enough enough. Unless it produces good deeds, that belief is dead and useless. Now someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You'll feel suitably cobbled over the head. (laughs) You see, our good deeds serve a very important purpose. In John 5, um, Jesus said that the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, that they testify that the Father has sent me. The works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, so the good deeds, the stuff that you see, 
Jesus said. They speak. They, ta- they are the things that testify to the fact that the Father has sent me. My endorsement is not what I say alone. It's what I do that testifies that the Father has sent me. And so what is true for Jesus is true for us. Our deeds... Our good deeds, they testify, they, they speak. To testify means to speak, doesn't it? And our testimony is not just what we say, but it is what we do. Our works are our witness. Now let me just press the pause button. If you've come here for the first time and you're hearing this, you go, oh my God, this man is such a legalist. Those of you who've been around and have listened to the series will know that I'm the accusations I'm I'm not, I'm far from. <laughs> but this is where the truth of Galatians leads us to. It leads us into a transformed lifestyle. But it's a lifestyle that operates from the base of grace. Grace will lead us into a transformed lifestyle where we do good things that are evident that our works are a witness and they're an act of worship. So our theme for the year is lighten up. And um, we've said that this theme lighten up has all kinds of lighten up we just need to some of us have been losing weight uh, some of us need to lighten up just get a sense of humor you know um, stop taking life so seriously but also um, this idea of lightening up there's another aspect to this and it's found in Matthew 5 <clears throat> Jesus said let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and Glorify your Father in heaven. Could somebody get me a drink, please? <clears throat> a tea or a water or something. <coughs> then in 1 Peter. Peter is here is just kind of regurgitating what he had heard Jesus say. That's all right. All right. Um, Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see what? This is, people see the connection between our good deeds and God. Thank you so much, Marion. Sorry? That was a very good deed. (laughs) Treasures in heaven. If you give a cup cup of cold water to somebody in Jesus' name, well done. People see the connection between our good deeds and God. There's a link. Um, Our good deeds, what can be seen result in the glorifying of God who is unseen. Isn't that great? We want to make God visible. We want to make God famous. We want God to be known. Not rocket science. We go around doing good. Huh. You know what? We can manifest God to our community very simply. We just do good. Do good. 
You see, for so long, um, the church has said, listen to us rather than look at us. If we just made that shift from, if we stopped saying to the world, listen to us, and started saying, look at us, it would make all the difference. What is the, what is the most, um, if you get this question right, you can have a drink of my water. <laughs> um, what is the most respected Christian denomination in Australia? Salvation Army. Why do Australians, secular Australians, pagan Australians, non-Christian Australians, why do they look at their Salvation Army and go, give them a thumbs up and give to the Red Shield appeal? Why? Because they're doing good. Um, the McCrindle Research um, did a, an interview, a, a consultation, and they asked Australians to give their perspective of the church and Christianity. And this was what they discovered, that the greatest attraction to investigating spirituality and religion is seeing people, ordinary people like you and me, live out a genuine faith. What was really interesting in that research, they said things that turn um, the Australian public off, off is, number one, or turn the... the, the Australian public off Christianity is one famous people or celebrities talking about their faith. Interesting, isn't it? About a, a, about a, a, a 25, 26% from memory. We just kind of think, oh, if um, who's who's famous? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. If Tom Cruise became famous, well, that would he would have such a great test, and people would fly. No, 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 no. That would turn people off. The other thing that's really interesting that turns the Australian public off, listen to this one, is stories of miraculous healings and miracles. They just, they kind of find that a bit, kind of, bit over the top. What they find really attractive though is when ordinary people like you and me do good. Just live out our faith in an authentic way. We're looking for celebrities, we're looking for miracles, and then the Australian public are looking for ordinary people who will just do good. St. Augustine said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Now, one of the things, um, are you okay if I just keep, I've got a, just another 45 minutes now to go. <laughs> now, one of the things that gets in the way of us doing good, and Paul points out, is weariness. You know what, doing good can be tiresome, can't it, Lynn? He writes, Galatians 6, 9, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Can I be honest with you? There is um, often, to, if I was to be really honest, there doesn't seem 
Like there's a whole lot to be gained from doing good. If I was to be honest with you, um, I think everybody who sets their heart on doing good at the end of the day questions sooner or later and they say, think to themselves, is doing good actually making any difference? Is it really worth it? Serving God and, and, and by serving others and not seeing much in the way of, of tangible results ends us, leaves us feeling very discouraged and disheartened because you're pouring your life in and not seeing the kind of... You, you, we live with an expectation that something good is going to happen in response to the good things that we're doing. And often that's not the case. Nikki and Andrew would bear witness to that, wouldn't you? In the early years of ministry, um, uh, we had a succession of things happen, and, a, and a, it was a convergence of things happened. And Lou and I had um, been spending time with people. We had little kids, but we were spending time on a night time, having people in our home, having them over for meals, sitting down, counselling. You know, they'd say, "We're desperately needing needing help, and would you help us?" And so we would kind of organise our lives so that we could spend all this time with people who were whose lives were falling apart. And what would happen is we'd help them and then the next thing is we're, bye, see you later, we're out of here. We've, there's another church down the road that can, can, you know, better music, better whatever, whatever it might be. Then we had this situation where we, we lent out our car to a, to a mechanic, I might explain, um, to a mechanic and he returned it and he said, oh, thanks for lending me your car. Uh, while I was using it, I know you've got really nice tyres on your car, but I, one of them... Um, I damaged one of them, but I've just replaced it with a retread. And not just that, the handbrake's broken as well. I'm really sorry about that. And I can't remember what the catalyst was, but something else happened. And I just came home from work one day and I said to Louise, that's it. I cannot do this anymore. I'm, I'm over it. I'm just, I can't, I cannot do this anymore. So I've got, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to resign. Um, we're going to move to Mount Gambia. Live with my parents. They didn't know this yet, but that was my plan. <laughs> Hadn't consulted them. I said, I cannot keep giving out anymore. It just hurts way too much. It just hurts way too much. We're having this conversation and uh, my phone rings and it was a friend of mine from, a uh, pastor friend of mine, uh, Leo from Sydney. He says, hi Steve, how are you? And I go, I'm great, thanks. <laughs> how are you? And Louise looks at me and rolls her eyes, shakes her head and goes, oh my gosh. So I'm playing the game. Hey, how, yeah, I'm good, really good. How, you know, I have things going. He says, Steve, I've just been praying for you and I've... I, I just feel like God has a word for you. I really believe that God wants to say to you, whatever you do, do not give up. Do not give up. Well, I burst into tears. I wept and I wept and I wept. Got off the phone and Lou and I stood in, a, in, a, in our dining room, we held hands and we said, we're going to keep inviting people into our home. We're going to keep 
spending time with people. We're going to keep serving meals. We're going to keep sowing into people's lives. We will lend out our car again. We will keep on doing this stuff. Inscribed at Mother Teresa's children's home in Calcutta is the following quote. People are often unreasonable, illogical and self-centred. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will, will, will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and your God. It was never between you and them anyway. So how do we overcome goodness fatigue? How do we keep doing good and not give up? Well, number one is we've got to know that our reward from the Lord will come. You have to know that your reward from the Lord will come. He says there at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You see, every act of doing good is an act of sowing seed. And that seed carries with it the promise of a harvest. You will reap a, you will reap a harvest. And what motivates us to keep doing good is the assurance that one day when the time is right, we will receive a, receive a return for the good seed we've sown. And so we keep our eyes on the prize. Our harvest is coming if we just keep going. When is the right time for us to reap our harvest? You know what? Sometimes that harvest comes in the here and now. But ultimately what we do is we keep doing good because we will reap a harvest in the world to come. Jesus says that we are to store up, build up treasure in heaven. We will get a reward one day. We might not see it here on earth as we would like it, as we would like to. But one day, you will receive your treasure in heaven. And then secondly, how do we overcome goodness fatigue? By taking time out and taking time to be with Jesus. 
Early in, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus had sent his disciples out to serve and to do good. Um, they were preaching and teaching and healing and, and, and casting out demons. And we all know that casting out demons is really tiresome, isn't it? I know I find casting out demons incredibly tiring. You know? Last night I was up till 3 o'clock this morning with Louise. It was just like ridiculous. <laughs> so they come out, the disciples come back and they have a debriefing session with Jesus and it says that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You see, what's really important is to be sustainable long term. Not just to kind of crash and burn. Do good, be frenetic for um, a week, a month or a year. What God is looking for is a lifetime, a lifestyle of doing good. And to get into that sustainable place, what we have to do is we learn, we have to learn to take time out just to rest, to disconnect from doing good. Sometimes. Clint. Sometimes you just got to disconnect and say, you know what? There are always going to be people with needs and we just got to withdraw ourselves from a little... I've got to give myself some space. I've got to be kind to me. I've got to care. I'm a caregiver, but I've got to care for myself before I start giving care to others. So we need to nuance this thing by taking time out from doing good from time to time. And then... Now, taking that time, time out, we also need to take time out to be with Jesus. It says there, Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. See, there is rest. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Seven weeks in New Zealand is wonderful. But we don't have to go away for seven weeks. Those of us who are staying behind and holding the fort and doing good while you're traveling around in a camper van around New Zealand, we can find rest. We can take our weariness and go and be with Jesus. So let me finish. Um, we have a mandate to do good. If you open your eyes, you'll see there are opportunities abounding all around you. And you need to seize those opportunities. And don't stop doing good. Because one day, in God's timing, you will receive your reward from the Lord. Amen. Amen.